The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 546 for November 27th, 2016. The U.S. Department of Transportation pushes to limit phone use in vehicles, Google drops support for gingerbread, and think twice before using the Verizon Pop Data feature. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, before we get started this week, a brief note about some travel that I had done for the holidays. I spent the week in Phoenix, which, as you can probably tell from the sound of my voice, is where I am right now due to the use of my travel microphone. So I lived here in the Valley for almost 15 years, and this is really the first time since I left that I have been back for a significant amount of time. Uh, It's been about four years. And uh, outside of the normal progress changes that you would expect to see, um, one of the dramatic things that I have not seen has been an improvement in coverage from T-Mobile. So that's not to say that things aren't better. They certainly are, but uh, it's not the improvement that I've seen in many other parts of the country. So Granted, I've spent most of my time outside of the core parts of town, but have traveled around about 500 miles in and around the city, including areas of uh, Surprise, Peoria, uh, the I-10 corridor, and uh, certainly into the kind of the the more commercial parts of downtown Scottsdale, North Scottsdale, Cave Creek, if those of you that know the area understand kind of all these areas that we went. And and what I found is that the the spots that I've been have, have kind of surfaced as really being mostly 4G. And that's been very surprising, something that I I have not seen in my use of T-Mobile over the last year. Generally, when I found LTE, it's been weak. um, But the overall experience hasn't been terribly negative. I've had enough service to be able to do navigation. I've been doing a ton of Google Maps navigation, etc. And of course, the music streaming when we were in the car. But uh, it's just it's been a surprise to see a lack of LTE and just a lot more 4G than I'm used to. Okay, and that was my question, yeah, because sometimes 4G versus LTE, depending on the carrier, it sometimes gets a little confusing because they're they're not the same thing on T-Mobile and AT&T. Right. And so I, the point is the it's it's the HSPA network is what it is that I'm roaming on. And so out in Washington, it's really not that uh, that that good once you find yourself on 4G. It's like this network that has completely been abandoned, speeds uh, like the service hardly works at all. Whereas here, it's been like, you know, two to three megabit per second, just fine for streaming music and doing the things that you want to do. So no big deal. Uh, But it just it has is definitely been a surprise at just how not good it's been. Now, on the flip side of that, Verizon, as always, stellar in the Phoenix area. Nice to see that that hasn't changed. And uh, just kind of overall, thank goodness for Wi-Fi calling. It has been vital in the places that I've been staying and that I've had to make a, a lot of my phone calls, as I normally do. But the phone calls that I've made have all been over Wi-Fi calling. Well, and again, it just goes to show there's still not just one carrier that you can say this is the one to go with. You just can't. And, uh, you know, and, and, uh, usually, like we've always said, you know, Verizon's usually the, the best one, but it's it not necessarily the case. That And, you know, obviously for someone who lives here, maybe your experience is, you know, dramatically different than, than mine. Um, I will say that inside of, of Scottsdale Fashion Square, spent a little bit of time there. Um, T-Mobile worked fantastic. I mean, it was down in the garage and I had LTE service. So there's clearly, you know, deployments around the shopping center area that have allowed for that service to be as robust as possible. So again, your, your mileage will vary, of course, where you spend the majority of your time um, and where you live. Perhaps it's it's better as well. But just from a, I'll 
say, kind of spending time out in the areas that have been developed here of the far West Valley over the last few years, it's definitely been interesting to see that the service with T-Mobile has not been deployed and built up in the same respect that, uh, I'll say, the housing has been. So kind of an interesting thing. Jumping into the news, first up, the U.S. Department of Transportation wants phone makers to make it harder for drivers to use their smartphones when behind the wheel. So the NHTSA published guidelines for car and phone makers that they believe will help cut back on instances of distracted driving. Specifically, the government wants phones to more proactively go into driving mode and to pair more seamlessly with cars in dash navigation systems. Driving mode typically uh, simplifies the user interface so it isn't as hard to use while driving. And driving mode also limits what features are available to the driver. Pairing would automatically connect phones to cars and route info through an infotainment system, which will be safer to use. Drivers would still be able to make phone calls and use navigation, but not enter text or view any sort of video, browse the internet, or view text or photos from messages. Both pairing and driver mode will reduce the potential for unsafe driver distraction by limiting the time a driver's eyes are off the road, while at the same time preserving the full functionality of these devices when they are are used at other times, said the government. The NHTSA is seeking comment from the public and industry players before moving forward in implementing the guidelines. Distracted driving is cited as the cause for a 10% surge in traffic deaths over the last year. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate this is necessary, but you know the the distracted driving just continues to increase and get worse. And I think uh, at, at some point here, you know, these recommendations may just become the law and it may be draconian law, too. And, uh, you know, what we're used to being able to do in the car with your phone may not be uh, possible anymore, even if you're a passenger because of, because of the issues. So uh, that's something that, uh, you know, could be around the corner. It is something interesting to think about that it, this it doesn't necessarily just affect the driver because of course the phone is going to, uh, to figure out whether it's it's going to realize if it's in a moving vehicle and potentially then not function. Um, the other part of it is if you happen to be you know in a vehicle that is your car and your phone would pair to it, but you happen to be a passenger. Um, I know obviously that happens with a lot of people and a lot of families. Um, it's a primary car for one person, the other person drives it, then maybe you can't use your phone. So it could get kind of interesting here as we move into the next few years with how these uh, how these laws are going to go into play. And certainly for good reason, with distracted driving on the increase, we want to do what we can to combat that. Um, and when you look at what some of the states are doing with implementation of the laws for distracted driving, um, it needs to be done, I think, on a federal level to make it so that you're not crossing from one state into another and handheld use in one state is allowed. Texting is banned in one state. Well, you know, full, you know, touching of phones, if you will, is banned in other states. And it can get kind of confusing if you're a driver and you're driving across multiple state lines. So I do think that a federal mandate for how this uh, is, uh, you know, how this stuff is going to be implemented should be done. So we'll see where, uh, where it shakes out here, but certainly it is moving in that direction. AT&T says allowing its customers to stream certain content without incurring wireless data fees is beneficial and won't harm the future of the wireless industry. These comments were made in a letter to the FCC, which earlier this month asked AT&T to justify its practice of zero rating of DirecTV's content. They said these initiatives are precisely the kind of pro-consumer challenges the cable to cable that the commission heralded in approving AT&T's acquisition of DirecTV. The FCC is wary of zero rating practices and feels that they may be able to step out uh, maybe out of step with existing net neutrality laws 
But in this case, AT&T owns DirecTV and is in, 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 is in effect giving its own service an advantage over competing services that do incur data fees when streamed over AT&T's wireless network. Uh, if you think about the other folks out there, the other carriers, Verizon allows customers to stream its Go90 video service without impacting data allotments. Of course, uh, T-Mobile's Binge On program provides unlimited streaming of lower resolution content from a handful of video partners. The FCC has been exploring zero-rated content for some time, but has yet to take an official public stance on what we've got going here. And of course, with the, a new administration coming in, it sounds like the, the potential candidates for the FCC commissioner really, uh, you know, their historic position is that, uh, you know, get rid of every one of these regulations. So, uh, it, you know, the next four years may be a little bit, uh, a little bit light on some of the regulation uh, and new, the, the net neutrality laws may uh, kind of uh, take a back seat. Uh, is kind of what the, the, the theories are so far. I think about a service like DirecTV and, you know, being owned by the same company as, uh, you know, with AT&T as the parent company, the the I, the benefit to the consumer that is a, a customer of both of those services, it seems like it, it, it's a pretty positive thing. But again, you've got to think through like all of the pieces to this, like how is this going to then, uh, you know, to be a, a, the detriment to a service like a Netflix, which a lot of people are potentially using, or somebody else, if it's if it's just a one particular service that is getting this prioritization, and so that that's I think where where some of kind of some of this gets a little bit shaky and a little bit iffy, um, and one of the things that I think the FCC is questioning in this regard. Um, but obviously, the zero rating practices are not going away; um, they just continue to to increase as the different carriers are finding whatever it is that they want to capitalize on and what's going to be to their benefit for them to. Uh, to include in this, um, and, you know, with the exception of T-Mobile, who is zero rating effectively everything in a specific category, uh, these other the other carriers are choosing specific services to do so. In device news, Apple will be replacing the battery of a small number of iPhone 6S smartphones that are experiencing power loss and no charge. Apple has determined that a small number of 6S devices may unexpectedly shut down, they said. The phones shut down when the battery shows that it's half full or more. The issue impacts a limited number of iPhone 6S handsets that were manufactured in September or October of 2015. Owners of the iPhone 6S who believe their device may be experiencing the issue can bring it to a local Apple store for an evaluation. Now, um, I have a 6S that was manufactured in this time period. Uh, I have yet to be able to make an appointment at a Genius Bar, so I can't yet, I've yet to be able to determine if my phone is impacted. Um, I can tell you that I have seen the random shutoffs when the battery is not down to 0%. Um, that, I do believe, though, is mostly a result of having um, you know, er erratic charging behavior, so I don't charge it up fully, and it doesn't, it don't, the battery gets out of sync, um, because every once in a while, I'll run it all the way down, run it back up, and it seems to be, uh, to be fixed. Um, but I do know my wife's phone, which is purchased at the exact same time, has a similar type of issue um, that pops up intermittently where it'll shut down where it's like 35% of the battery still showing. Um, but at the same time, I saw it last night and it was down to 4%. So it was uh, effectively the gauge was working. So, uh, but either way, if you have a 6S, see if you can find your way to an Apple store and they can help you determine if you are eligible to get that battery replaced. Yeah, it'd have been nice if they would uh, had a serial number thing where you can input your serial number to see if you're actually affected or not, but they, they don't have that. Yeah, I was thinking that that was what they had done, and so I went searching for the tool, and that was not at all the case. I think they're just looking for uh, an evaluation diagnostic to be done at the store to determine if the battery was impacted. They probably don't want to just blanket replace a bunch of batteries unless they have to. If the people people are maybe not experiencing the issue, uh, but then if there are others that are, then that's when they're going to do this replacement. On the Android side, ZTE this week announcing the Axon 7 
6 plus 128. Yes, that is the actual name. Um, a slightly improved version of the Axon 7 flagship handset. The new variant includes a force-touch display, 6 gigabytes of RAM, and 128 gigs of storage, hence the name. The hardware changes pushed the cost from $399 to $499. ZTE did not say what the force-touch screen is able to do. Uh, all other specs and features of the Axon 7 6 plus 128 are unchanged from the standard version. The, uh, that includes a 5.5-inch Quad HD screen, Snapdragon 820 processor, 20-megapixel main camera, 8-megapixel selfie camera, 3,250 milliamp-hour battery, and support for many U.S. LTE bands. The limited edition Axon 7 6 Plus 128 is available unlocked online, like I said, for $499. In software news, Motorola said it will roll out Android 7.0 Nougat to the Moto Z and the Moto Z Force starting this week. Both handsets will be updated from Android 6.1 to Android 7.0, and as a result, the Moto 7 and Moto 7 excuse me, Moto Z and Moto Z Force will be compatible with Daydream, Google's new virtual reality platform. According to Motorola, the Z and Z Force will be the first non-Google handsets certified as Daydream ready. Daydream requires high-resolution screens, quick refresh rates, and fine-tuned sensors for accurate head tra tracking. Daydream also requires that the Daydream VR headset and controller, which are sold uh, separately at Verizon, Best Buy, and Google stores. The Nougat update will be uh, will start reaching the Moto Z and Z Force globally uh, starting this coming week. More information about carrier-specific upgrades will be available from Motorola's website. They did not say, though, if or when the Z Play might receive Android 7. Google this week made an update to its Android 7.1 developer preview for developers. The biggest new feature for users is support for GIFs and animations within the keyboard. So the Android keyboard can interact with third-party applications to create and apply stickers, videos, and other expressive content. Android 7.1 also adopts the 3D touch-style interactive tool that will let people access up to five secondary actions or settings that can be reached directly from the launcher. Google expects to roll out Android 7.1.1 to the full launch of supported devices, as well as the Pixel and Pixel XL handsets in December. And older Android users will need to accept that their device isn't going to be upgraded moving forward. Google Play Services will sever backward compatibility with devices running Android 2.3 Gingerbread, meaning Play Services 10.2 will support Android 4.0.1 Ice Cream Sandwich and up. The Gingerbread platform is almost six years old, and many Android developers have already discontinued support for Gingerbread in their applications. This uh, Google says this will help to better build applications to make use of the newer capabilities of the Android platform. And for us, the situation is the same. By making this change, we'll be able to provide more robust collection of tools for Android developers with greater speed. At last check, only 1.3% of all devices accessing the Google Play Store were still running Gingerbread. The majority of the devices are running Android 4.4, which is KitKat. That's 25% of devices. Android 5 or higher at Lollipop at 34.1%. And Android 6, Marshmallow and higher at 24%. Well, I can't believe they're still supporting that. That that kind of blew me away when I saw this story. Uh, uh, you know, you'd think they'd cut it off, you know, once you, they'd reach, you know, 5% or, or even 3%, but 1.3, that's, uh, it, of course, it, it's surprising that there's that many running still, but it's not because Gingerbread was unbelievably popular. I mean, that had, uh, you know, massive amount of people using that version for a very long time. They were releasing devices with that with that particular version. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think for the most part, people, you know, that were using those devices have moved on, you know, certainly less than 2% of people left out there. But, you know, those devices that are that are still out there are being used by as hand-me-down devices uh, by, you know, people that are maybe a secondary device or, um, you know, as a device for a child or somebody who's not necessarily doing a whole lot on it, but still being used nonetheless. And so, they, uh, you know, th- there's a, yes, it's amazing that they're still supporting it. And at the same time, it's not at all, because as you pointed out, it was a very popular system. Right. But of course, what's kind of, uh, uh, you know, shocking, but, uh, but not, uh, because, you know, just the way Android is, is that, you know, how many are on a KitKat and how many are on Lollipop and how many are on Marshmallow? I mean, it's, it, they're huge numbers, uh, for those three versions that span all these years. Yeah, you're talking about less than a third of devices running on the latest software, not even the latest. We're talking six Marshmallow um, and higher. So you still have a lot of people using a lot of older software. And, you know, for a lot of them, it just doesn't matter. It works. And so they use it. They don't need to upgrade and, you know, don't want to take the time or they've got a device that isn't compatible with an upgrade. Right. And of course, now uh, Google's finally been kind of releasing the security updates that's getting on more of these devices than, you know, than in years past. Uh, of course, that is kind of one of the, the, the big concerns is the security. But, you know, being that it's an older version doesn't really matter. It makes it tough for developers. But for, you know, the average person, yes, it doesn't matter what how old the software is. Uh, that, that doesn't make any difference. But when there are security issues, that's where that's when the, the problem really exists. And again, most people not necessarily thinking about that stuff either, right? I mean, you're just, you're using your device that, um, that you have. And uh, if the battery still works, the phone still works. And you shouldn't have to. Right. Well, that's, that's a whole nother conversation, I think. And we'll, we'll skip that for, for this show. Uh, Instagram this week announcing new features for its mobile app that expand how people can share photos and videos. First, the debut uh, of live video within Instagram stories. So users can now broadcast live video to their followers Through the Stories section of the application, followers may opt to receive notifications when people share live video. People will be able to leave comments throughout the video's duration, but live video is not stored or saved in users' feeds. Instagram says live video will be added to the Explore tab too, which will allow people to browse through live video that's being shared from around the world. In a uh, move to battle Snapchat, Instagram is now allowing users to send disappearing videos and photos through its direct message function as well. Once the content is viewed by the recipient, it disappears from the recipient's uh, phone, uh, their, their device, and so they can no longer view it. Instagram says disappearing photos and videos can only be sent to people you follow. Disappearing content shared with groups will allow members to see all the comments and responses. Instagram says that the live video tool is rolling out globally over the next few weeks while disappearing photo and video is available now. HTC said the unlocked variant of its HTC 10 smartphone should receive Android 7 Nougat beginning this week. The update is being pushed out over the air in the US, to the U.S. version of the HTC 10, which will be sold directly uh, or is sold directly by HTC Online. Beyond Nougat, though, the update should also install the latest Android security patches from Google and provide other system enhancements. The update is 1.1 gigabytes and should be downloaded via Wi-Fi. Questions and comments this week. Uh, We've just got one, and it comes from Kyle. And he says, Mickey and Joey, happy Thanksgiving. Wanted to share my recent experience with Verizon's new pop data feature. So the situation I faced is that my iPhone screen died, and the only resolution 
was re- required a replacement of the device from Apple. Luckily, Apple was able to overnight a replacement phone to the location that I would be staying at for Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, this location did not have Wi-Fi, nor was there any public Wi-Fi within 15 miles. I thought that uh, backing up my phone to iTunes on a computer would be a simple solution, but what I didn't know was that even if you if even if you restore a backup from iTunes, the phone requires you to re-download all apps over Wi-Fi. Ever the creative person, I decided to activate the pop data feature on another iOS device and thought I would simply use the mobile hotspot for Wi-Fi and would restore the phone from iCloud backup that, uh, that way in order to retrieve all of my data and not destroy my own data allowance. After all, I did a speed test and I was getting 25 down and 8 up, so I felt this would be more than enough bandwidth to handle this need. The process to re- uh, acquire the pop data feature is fairly simple. Signed into the My Verizon app, activated a one-hour session for only $3. But upon activating the feature and receiving the text message confirmation, I did another speed test, and it seemed that I was getting throttled because it showed that my speeds were at 2.5 megabits per second down and only 4 uh, 0.4 megabits up. I tried several times to restore from an iCloud backup, and that was brutal. But after a few timeout errors, the backup seemed to run for almost an hour, and the phone said it would take eight hours to download the backup from iCloud. Speed tests on the other device still showed my bandwidth dropping, uh, or showed my bandwidth dropping to under a megabit a second while pop data was on. After the pop data session ended, I tried to restore again using the hotspot on the same device, and wouldn't you know it, the eight hours went to 10 minutes. So I believe this experience shows uh, irrefutable evidence that there is extreme throttling taking place when you turn on the pop data feature, and uh, ultimately your traffic is being dropped in the, for the priority of other users. My experience was complete garbage, and I absolutely cannot recommend this feature to anyone. Wanted to share the experience. As always, keep up the great work. Kyle. So this is a really very interesting um, a- anecdote. And Kyle, thank you very much for, for providing it. So just to, to kind of recap what we're talking about here. So you can effectively get unlimited um, bandwidth or unlimited service, if you will, I'm air quoting unlimited, if you uh, sign up for $3 to get an hour. And in his case, what he was trying to do was to ultimately download all of this, this massive amount of data in a very short period of time so that he wouldn't have to burn through his data, which I totally get. I mean, it makes a whole lot of sense. Why, why would you not do that? So unfortunately, though, in to his, uh, you know, experience here, it effectively is, is throttling that amount. Uh, and as soon as the pop data session ended, then he's got the, the speeds back up to normal. So there's, there's definitely something going on there. Well, this, yeah, this is terrible. Uh, and you seem to have quite, uh, you know, quite evident proof of it. And of course, I would have called Verizon up and really complained at this one. But I think, uh, you know, maybe even forwarding this message on to uh, a couple of the uh, tech blog sites so they can investigate a little bit and do a little bit of uh, uh, nasty PR for Verizon here uh, may be a good uh, good plan because, uh, well, of course, you probably wouldn't want to do that to one of the AOL-owned sites like uh, Engadget, I believe. They they probably wouldn't post it. But uh, anybody, uh, you know, that that's because uh, that's really deceptive and that it really isn't what you're signing up for because you expect to get the same speed that you can get without having that data activated because of course that doesn't tell you that in the fine print which uh yeah that's this is very obnoxious yeah so the one thing i I want to address though is i I thought that if you did a restore from an itunes backup that it would automatically push all of those applications out there i do know what he's talking about where it sometimes will just push out kind of the i'll say the, the app itself uh, but not the, all the data. And I thought it, it would allow you to then, there, there's a way to force that to happen. 
Right. Uh, yeah. The backup. Okay. Yeah. It is. It's kind of strange. And there, there is a way to make iTunes have the apps installed because I've done this uh, with with device restorers and backups where the apps are stored in my iTunes, but you have to specifically say, and you actually have to have the apps already in iTunes and be downloaded into the iTunes in order for them to restore to the device itself. You don't need a, a Wi-Fi or, or internet connection to do it. Oh, well, you need a Wi-Fi connection, but not a, an internet connection uh, uh, through iCloud directly on a device to restore all the apps and all of the app data if you've just done a uh, you know a backup with that so you, you shouldn't need an iCloud backup at all you, you, and you don't need one uh, to restore the apps but what you're saying though is that you need to have the actual applications themselves on the computer it's not just the backup that you've done um, of the device it doesn't necessarily download all those apps onto it absolutely yeah it's they're, they're distinctly different and and you can have uh you can have it either way in itunes like for me my data directory for my itunes library for just my mobile applications is like 450 gigabytes i have to have that on a network drive because it's just massive because it downloads every version of the of an application and i keep that on there for now and it's uh it's one of these things where it, it, it it's coming handy because i've got multiple different devices and can restore to them and and, and occasionally i have actually gone back to older version of applications and put them on the device and i keep older versions on uh, my device of, of particular software applications i know and you've talked about that before um something i never do i always grab the newest version right away as soon as i can um don't ever keep any old up uh, you know versions of apps or anything like that so um but that that would absolutely be the reason why is if you just had a computer launched itunes plugged in a phone did a backup and then tried to do a restore it's not going to do it's not going to restore everything you have to uh, effectively download all of those applications onto the computer, which takes, of course, more time. And if you don't have a computer uh, or if you don't have an internet connection, then that's going to be even more difficult. And so the way that you did it is probably the, the best way that you could have gone because it would have just probably been more hassle than you wanted to uh, to really go through to have to download everything because it would have downloaded a lot of other data too, I'm sure, as well. Right, and I think for the iTunes, that there used to be a button uh, in in there that says transfer purchases from device and 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 get the apps from the from the phone. But I don't know if it does that anymore. I haven't really confirmed that recently because I because I, all the internet uh, applications that I get now download from the internet uh, on it, within iTunes. So uh, I don't know if it goes that direction anymore. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I I had an exp- um, a situation this weekend where I actually needed to connect an old iPad. Two to my iTunes, um, which did work fortunately. And uh, all I was doing was transferring some video content. So I downloaded some content um, that I wanted to load onto um, one of the devices for my kids um, that was not from iTunes and not from a specific app. And so I took that, that content um, and then just transferred it over to the videos app and it was able to sync it over with no problem, um, which still kind of sur- shows a, a relative um, you know, benefit to having a computer and, and why these devices are uh, just, they're, they're, they're computers for sure, but they're not fully functioning computers like we know them and, and why there's still this like this um you know this Achilles heel of these tablets is that there, there's 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 still a lot of functionality that you cannot get uh, from from on the the tablet itself and and certainly um, you would not have had been able to do this if you would have had like an iPad an iPad or something like that you needed the computer to do the backup to, to iTunes in order to do the restore right and and yes that, that that's right you know the the iOS has you know no a file system kind of like a normal computer has so you're it it does get very limited in certain situations.
Yeah, and and I guess you know the other part of it is that you you could have done uh, if you had had a recent iCloud backup, you could have used that to do a restore. Um, but without with a a screen that's not functioning, you don't know when the last time the backup happened. So in your particular situation, a computer seems like it was absolutely necessary in order for this process to go, um, you know, the way that you needed it to. So kind of an interesting um, you know scenario. Certainly something that uh, fortunately for you, you did have um, you know the appropriate cables and you had a computer and you're able to take advantage of all of this, uh, all, all the tools that you needed to get the work done. Um, but certainly, um, yeah, very interesting that uh, what Verizon is offering there um, is certainly a throttled option, at least in your situation, and could be for others as well. Uh, just, uh, I suppose it depends, your mileage may vary, so to speak, depending on where you are, and, uh, and certainly what the network congestion and other traffic uh, in your area is like. Well, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call, 650-999-0524. We'd love to hear from you. We'll get your questions or comments on the show and talk about them uh, when you do. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.